Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. So let's jump right into the word of the Lord today. We're looking at the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at chapter 19 today, and you're going to have to listen fast because there is so much for us to go over. And what I want us to be thinking about today is just the fact that when, you, when all is said and done, God's relationship with, with us is a great love story. And that what we're going to be looking at today is the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't it kind of amazing that what God's plan and purpose is for the earth, it ends in a wedding. And it's to the delight of God the Father, God the Son, and to the church. So Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great prostitute who was corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises forever and ever and 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord today, and I thank you for the Spirit of God. I thank you, Lord, for releasing understanding of the, the times of the end, Lord, and just realizing that the Lord God Almighty reigns. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, let your glory come and be in this place today, Father. Release your spirit and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation chapter 19, it's after Revelation 17 and 18. And what was that all about? Well, I can't go into it in depth, but it was about the tearing down of the religious systems of the world that are related to the Babylonian cult with all of its um, denial of the truth and, and immorality. It's the system, the Babylonian system, but then it's also the casting down of the city of Babylon. And we realize that during the seven year period, or even maybe starting soon, there is going to be the development of the city of Babylon. There is going to be a great global shift on the economic capitals of the world. So right now, it would be New York City. It would be London. It would be Shanghai. These, these places that are seats of, of the economic control of the planet are going to shift, and they're going to come into an alignment with the, the spirit of the Antichrist. So don't be alarmed when you hear about the economic systems of the world and of nations shifting or the, the, the dollar or current currencies of nations are shifting, going to cryptocurrency. The Bible is saying that at the end, there is going to be this global economy. It's going to be under a global leader, the Antichrist himself. So at the sound of the victory of all of this, we find out the only time in the New Testament where the word hallelujah 
is, is presented to us. It's an Old Testament term. Hallelujah means uh, us praise, let us praise. Yah is from Yahweh, let us praise the Lord. And so it's this great universal shout of praise. You can find it in almost every language on the earth, they say. Um, but we find out that it's used in the book of Psalms, but then it's only used in the book of Revelation. Why would that be? Because we're reminding ourselves that the book of Revelation is a very Jewish book and God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Not too long ago, there was no nation of Israel. And as God is setting the stage, we have the nation of Israel right now that we can see the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Lord. So the Lord uses this heavenly expression which is rooted in Judaism and it's rooted in the praises of the Psalms. So then we're going to be moving forward with all of this in that they're giving praise to the salvation of the Lord because it's always been this concept of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. That God has called people to salvation, to be saved from the consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve, to be forgiven of our sins and then released from sin's judgment, sin's fear, sin's uh, corruption upon our nature. And so when you gave your heart to Jesus, you were declared righteous before God, you were washed clean with the blood of Christ and then given the Holy Spirit who was working on your perfecting process. And how many of you know that can't happen fast enough, right? So the Lord is working that in all of us. But what is beautiful about all of this is that we have to see that in Ephesians chapter 1, the scriptures are very clear that we were chosen. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ were chosen to be in him before the foundation of the world. If you are a believer right now, before God even made the world, he knew you. And the Bible says the Lord chose you. And what does that mean? That means this, that God picked for his son a bride, which is really astounding. If you're sitting here today feeling disqualified, inadequate, can't rise to the occasion, why me, Lord? No one else appreciates me. Why would God appreciate me? I want you to know today that you were chosen to be a part of the bride of Christ before God even made the world. And he has allowed you to face the circumstances and the situations that have happened to you because he knew that by the trial of your faith with your more precious than gold that perishes will result to the praise and the glory and the honor at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you know what? Don't measure yourself by what's been coming against you, by the struggles that you face. It's not the rejection of the Lord. It is the working of the Lord in you. Because when you become the bride of Christ, it says that when you then enter into that great marriage agreement with the Son of God, the gold that what your faith acquired will be the goal that you will be able to present at the great wedding of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's so awesome. That's why the Lord said to the church, the very last church before his coming, church of Laodicea, buy from me the gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in fire. The way that gold comes out of you is by the refining process of trials and tribulations and struggles. When you struggle against outward forces, but also the inward nature of iniquity, where you you know, like we sang that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why would we sing such a confession? Because by saying that, we are saying this, there is part of in my old nature that I still carry in my flesh, uh, um, uh, an inclination to be lazy about the things of God, to, to drift, to allow the call of the flesh and of the devil to bring me to a, a wandering away from the Lord, but that's the refining 
process of the gold. So it's really beautiful. So then let's look at verse 7. Let's read a little bit further. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. Every time you face your struggles and your battles and you win by faith, it is the bride in you preparing herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. When the Lord said, buy from me the gold refined in the fire, and he also said this, and the white robes to cover your nakedness. That call to the church, the last day's church, to buy the gold of the Lord and get the white robes, which covers your nakedness. What does that mean? Covers a part of us that, uh, what does clothing do? It covers our imperfections, right? Isn't that what it does? We become comfortable in that place. The Lord says, you know, just pursue the life where your imperfections are no longer visible. It's not talking about hiding them. It's not talking about hypocrisy, but it's about being perfected. So the bride had clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now you might say to me, I don't know if I ever in this life I'm gonna get the white robes, but the Lord is gonna provide for a chance for every part of us that is not yet perfected right before the wedding to come into the perfection of Christ. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That is not the bride of Christ, that's the guests. Let's not mix that up. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when John is getting this vision about a great wedding, it's so overwhelming to him. The thoughts, you know, you can think about what? Uh, recent weddings of, that were royal, like um, maybe Charles and Diana, which was over the top, right? Gold chariots and horses and regalia and all that kind of stuff. And then you have the wedding of Prince William and then Prince Harry like these these elaborate affairs and yet in all of that it's a dim reflection a corrupted reflection of the glory when the God the father the king has a wedding for his son and his bride has prepared himself and John is so overwhelmed at the magnitude and the beauty of this wedding and how it's only by the grace of God that he sees it and he falls down before the angel that's part of the revelation and says, no, don't do that. The spirit of prophecy is the worship of Jesus. The angel at that point says, get off your knees. Don't, 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 don't. All of this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the very spirit of all of this, revel- of this revelation. But this is called the marriage of the lamb. So let's ask ourselves some questions here. Who is the lamb? And I think that you already know who that is. But in the very beginning of the book that John saw the Lamb of God, the Lamb, it says, that had been slaughtered. Or as we sang today, the Lamb that was slain. But the word is a very harsh word. So when John saw Jesus Christ as the Lamb in heaven, he saw him as a Lamb that was slaughtered, which we understand is is a very brutal word. And you can imagine that it comes with the bloodiness of of a slaughter. But when we think about all of this and we think about Jesus 
there are so many times in the Bible where Jesus shared and the prophets talked about there's a great big wedding coming. It's always been about a wedding. That before God made the worlds and all the universe, he chose you, the bride of Christ. He found you, he knew you, he loved you, and he prepared you. He put you in the family that he put you in. He put you in the circumstances, the tests, the trials, the struggles that you have in order to perfect you to be the bride of Christ. It's absolutely amazing, and we have to have that perspective. So we find out that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now let's think about some of the marriages that we find in the Bible. There's one of those beautiful pictures. We talk about the father of our faith. Who's the father of our faith? It's Abraham, the father of faith. He becomes this picture of the father God because he's the father of faith. So think about this story about Abraham. What did Abraham have? What did he wait for? He waited for the promise of a son. He had his beloved son, Isaac. This is a picture of God the Father having his beloved son, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, and Isaac represented that. Then came the challenge from the Father that it came and said, I I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. That was a brutal request, no indication in scriptures that God would ever ask for human sacrifice. As a matter of fact, he always opposed it. So this commandment was such a struggle. And we find, don't we, that there's a tension to the story that God the Father would crucify his son. There's a tension to it. There's a something's wrongness to it, if I could say it that way. Because, But what makes it feel so wrong is that sin had to be punished. And so the father, Abraham, had the beloved son. And then came the necessity in obedience for Abraham to take his son and his son upon his back carried the wood to the top of a mountain to be sacrificed by the father. Why was this story given to us? Why did God Abraham do this? So that the Gentile nation, I'm sorry, the Gentile nations of the world, but even more so the Jews would have within their, the culture of their faith and understanding, the father will have a son who will be called to sacrifice, who will carry the wood upon his back to the site of death, and in that place he will um, be obedient to his father. So we find out that Isaac willingly laid himself upon the altar while his father raised the dagger over him, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, God doesn't receive that human sacrifice, and God provides a ram in the thicket who replaced Isaac, which is the picture we have of the Lord Jesus Christ became the substitute to ram, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isaac couldn't die for anybody's sin, but Jesus Christ didn't have a ram in the thicket to replace him. He actually became that sacrifice. But it's a beautiful story because we know that even in that, Jesus lived beyond the grave, even as Isaac lived beyond the call to be a sacrifice. And as we see that, then we see that Abraham became concerned about one thing. And he made his chief servant, whose name was Eliezer, to make a promise to him. And what was that? That you will find a bride for my son. And what we need to realize in all of this is that when God saw the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the whole 
issue, the, the whole crux, the whole, the, the culmination of all this story is that it's the father's desire to provide a bride for his son. So Abraham says to Eliezer, I want you to go into a far country and I want you to find a bride a bride for my son Isaac, who ended up being Rebecca. In that story, then, we begin to realize that Eliezer is the picture of the Holy Spirit. And that is this. The Holy Spirit has been sent to the far country, in other words, to this world, because he's the third person of the Trinity, and he comes to find the bride of Christ, to call those out of that foreign land. And that's how you and I are, as having received Jesus Christ. We've been called out to be the bride of Christ. Now what's amazing about all of this, we are told that Eliezer then gets 10 camels and he takes wealthy possessions from Abraham's household, Abraham and Isaac as well. And so that he brings these gifts to Rebecca and he pulls out gold bracelets and a necklace and a ring and he gives them to her. And what is that is the picture of? It's the picture of the Holy Spirit brings the gifts of the Holy Spirit and presents them to the bride as a promise, you've got a bridegroom coming who loves you and he's going to be in your life. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given to the church as the Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to us as a down payment. Did you know that that word down payment actually means that he's been given to us as a guarantee or as an engagement ring? The gifts of the Spirit are the engagement ring. The person of the Holy Spirit is the promise that even though now we don't have Jesus to see, to, to grab hold of, to love on like our disciples could, and yet we have been given the Holy Spirit who came with the gifts to promise to us that we are going to see the bridegroom someday. And so Rachel agrees to go. She sees the gifts. She realizes this is worth living for because she had no understanding of who this future husband was going to be. No understanding of the Holy Spirit, but she had the gifts. She had received the Holy Spirit. That's how you are today as a follower of Christ. And she said yes, and she took a risk, and she put all of her life in the hands of someone who came to bring gifts. She had never seen him yet. And so she followed Eliezer back to the father's house. And there we find out that Jacob, when he saw her, came running towards her. And all the fulfillment of everything she could have wanted. It says that when Jacob saw her, he immediately fell in love with her. It's this amazing love story. And what was it a reflection of? The marriage supper of the Lamb of the love of the Father to have chosen us before the foundation of the world, to know what circumstances we needed to face in this life so that our faith can be tried like precious gold. And that's why the Lord says, to him who overcomes. See, overcoming is so important. It's the preparation of a bride for a great wedding day. So we find out there's another picture. Think about the picture of the Song of Solomon. I can't go into the same detail of all of that, but what it's, what's it about? It's about a Shulamite woman. That means she's from the area of the Galilee and that she's, she's rejected by her brothers and that actually she's forced to work in the fields, the vineyards, and she says, I am black, I am dark, but I've still held on to my loveliness. She was very tan, but then there's this shepherd, this shepherd who just... She caught his attention and he loved her. And that what she would do is she would imagine him. She would see him through 
her mind's eye. She would have dreams. She would imagine herself running through the streets. And what was that picture of? It's the picture of the believer who by faith sees Jesus even though he's not around. And the Shulamite woman saw the shepherd that she loved, but she saw him with the eyes of faith. He was not a reality. But then one night he knocks on her door and she's like, oh, he's here. But then he disappears. It's this amazing picture of a bridegroom who fell in love with the bride and yet he has to go to another place. He disappears and she doesn't have him, but then he comes back and he takes her and they fall in love. Why was that story given to us? Because God wants us to know Where is this all going? It's going to a great big wedding. The wedding, and it's going to be the desire of the Father. Jesus often talked about his mission is a wedding. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them in a parable, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened cattle are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And he went their separate ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the slaves and and treated them abusively and then killed them. Now the king was angry and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited we're not worthy. So go to the main roads and invite whomever you find there to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, tie his hands and feet, throw him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place for many are called but few are chosen what is this parable about it's a great king who has a wedding for his son goes to the people that should have come jesus came to the nation of israel but they wouldn't hear it they wouldn't have him so where did the lord go what did he do he says okay go out into the streets go out into the highways the byways how many of you are glad that god loves street people right he went out pull the people off the street and you say to yourself what is this all about i'm telling you if you've got some street in you it's only because god chose chose you before the foundation of the world and he knew the process that was necessary for you to be ready for a great wedding and then we find out here though that there were other guests that came in but one man tried to come in but he was wasn't dressed correctly. And what is that talking about? It's about those who presume that just because they carry the label, and I believe it would even mean the label of Christian, that they come in and they just say, hey man, uh, I'm good enough. I can get in. And immediately the Lord spotted it and said, that man's not dressed appropriately. How do you get dressed appropriately? Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord just says, hey, you, you don't have a place here. And he casts him into outer darkness. So let's read a little bit further. It says this in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. By the way, if you struggle with the teaching of the deity of Christ, this angel says, worship God, and then tells him to worship Jesus. Jesus is God. 
But if you notice here in this passage here, what we have to remember, this is not the marriage of the bride. It's called the marriage of the, of the lamb. In other words, the focus of this wedding is going to be the bridegroom. Unlike ours, where the, wife, the, the bride walks down the aisle and everything's centered around the wife, actually we find out here that the image is that the Lord wants us to understand this, and there's a safety for us to this. This is the desire of the bridegroom and of God himself. It gives us an assurity, not the insecurity that could come if we're the center of attention and hope that he loves us, but this is about a bridegroom pursuing us. He is the center of the wedding. This is his desire. This is a moment where it's going to fulfill all of Jesus' earthly joy. We might ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus never get married? Why do people want to say, oh, he was, Mary Magdalene was his girlfriend and all, all that kind of stuff. That's just ridiculous. Jesus kept himself for one thing, and that's for the bride of Christ. That this is, when, when Jesus actually comes to his own wedding, it's going to be all, everything that he anticipated in one moment. When you and I are part of that marriage supper of the Lamb, we are going to be astounded at the joy of Jesus. Because everything we did will be for that moment. This would remind us in Zephaniah chapter 4, verse 4, where it says the Lord sings over us with joy. And if you look at that word sings, it actually has in the Hebrew, gil, which is a wheel. It means he spins over us gives the idea that the Lord dances over us. I believe at the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus is going to dance. Of course he is. Because everything that he did was for this very moment. The Father, God, is going to dance. God is going to rejoice over his people. This will be the culmination of the desire of the Father for his Son. This will be the culmination of the desire of the Son to have a bride. And in order for Jesus to be able to marry to marry the, the, the church, the body of Christ, he had to become a man. In the book of Genesis, he was very specific, and I think it was an indication. The Lord just says there can be no cross-species um, reproduction. So that, uh, you know, he just put within creation that, that even, um, you know, apple trees will produce apples and pears will produce pears. Even after all these years in cross-pulmination, God wanted things to stay within their species. Same thing that's going on right now, you know, with, um, with, with, the, the animals, the, 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 there's, the, there's the cattle, there's the dogs, there's the cats, there's no mixing it up. But if you notice right now, the enemy of mankind is trying to mix human with animal. It's part of the whole corruption. And God says, that's one of the things where God says, I'll have nothing to do with it. It's, it's an offense to God. Well, why is that? It's because Jesus had to become flesh in order to find a bride upon the earth. And so that's so important. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, Savior, who wants all people to be saved. See, salvation comes in. To come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, mediator, mediator also between God and mankind. And then it says very specifically, the man Christ Jesus. Some of these little phrases that we don't even, we let them just pass us up. The Lord wants us to understand, 1 Timothy 2, 3, that Jesus is a man. That's why we also need to understand that the Bible says that when you and I die, that what was raised as, what was sown into the ground as earthly will be raised as heavenly, celestial. So I'm going to lay down a terrestrial body made of dust, but what will be raised will be celestial. But for Jesus, what was raised and what was sown into the ground was earthly and terrestrial, 
But it, that very same body was raised again. He doesn't, wasn't raised with a celestial body. That's why Jesus still contained the marks of the cross within his hands. He wanted us to know that the body that went into the grave is the body that rose, and it's also the body that ascended to be in heaven because Jesus has decided in his love and grace and mercy that he would come and he would be a man so that he could marry the bride of Christ, us, and that he kept that body, and now he in the same physical body that he walked this earth still is in that body waiting for the union that he's going to have with mankind. It's an amazing story of the love of God for us and the price that Jesus paid for us. So, so the Ephesians um, talks about us being chosen in Christ as a bride before the foundation of the world. Um, I mentioned that already. I'm going to have to move faster. But the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betrothed you. That was, means this. I had you to be engaged. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a servant deceived by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the Apostle Paul is saying this. This is why I'm so jealous for you because all you believers that I've brought to Christ because you were to maintain a, 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 a purity, a virginity. And of course, that's not talking about um, you know, the, our, our physicality, but what it's talking about there is that we, are, that we, we come into a great awareness that when I stand before Christ, I want to walk in his purity so that I'm a bride prepared for her husband. And that's what we're working on right now. And it's quite the process. But the apostle Paul said, I'm, I'm jealous for you because I betrothed you to Christ. Now that word betrothal, understand, yes, it has the idea of engaged, but you know, nowadays you can break an engagement and it almost means nothing. But back then, betrothal was something completely different. Well, if a man betrothed his daughter to somebody else, she might have only been eight years old. Obviously, she's not ready to be married to him so that when he betrothed her, he was saying this, I'm going to protect my daughter. I'm going to keep her pure. I'm going to make sure no man has his way with her and I'm going to make sure that she is ready in order when when the time has come for you to be married to her it was as it was as deep a commitment to marriage without it being consummated so the apostle Paul says you and I are betrothed to Christ in other words we've come into an agreement by the spirit of God that we will keep ourselves pure in the process of being prepared to be ready to be married to Christ. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take extra oil with them, but the prudent ones took oil and flasks with their lamps. Now while the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. The apostle Paul says, I betrothed you to Christ, this is my concern, that you'll get tricked You'll, be, you'll get wrapped up into trickery and that you will forget that you're in a purification process. Jesus said it's like the, these women that were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom, but they didn't keep the lamps bright. The Holy Spirit was not filling them. But at midnight, there finally was a shout, behold the groom, come out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, no, there must certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the merchants and buy some of your some of it for yourselves. And while they were on their way, the bridegroom left. See, do, do, do we understand all of this imagery, all of this imagery is just the picture that Jesus is calling men and women out of the world. Are you willing to be betrothed to Christ? And are you willing to anticipate his coming? The, the, the scripture says this, anybody who has the hope of the coming of Christ within him purifies himself. Why? If you truly believe in the coming of Christ, you want to be ready for his return. So there's the marriage supper. It doesn't say the marriage of the lamb. This is the marriage of the lamb. Where and when is this going to happen? It's going to happen in heaven. When is it going to happen? It's going to happen after the judgment seat of Christ for us to help to un- for us to understand. Jesus Christ is going to first come for his church. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. Jesus, the bridegroom, is going to come halfway. It's, it's, it's kind of like that picture of um, Isaac running towards Rebecca and them meeting at the midway point. So Jesus, we understand here, is, is going to call the church out, but then he's going to wait until this marriage supper, this marriage event happens. And that is going to happen after the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me explain that for just a moment, because that's where you and I will finally be clothed with the white robes that will completely cover everything that was inadequate. When we get into, the, into heaven and we understand that this is going on while the tribulation period is happening on the earth, that the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. See? Bridegroom's absent, and we're walking by faith. But we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive the compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. So I and every believer is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will give an account for our actions. Now, this will not determine whether we're saved or not. If you've been caught up in the rapture, the resurrection of the righteous, you are already declared righteous. But this will be the judgment of our deeds where we will give an account. If somebody lives completely for the Lord Jesus as a Christian, they will be rewarded above the person who gave their heart to Jesus but didn't obey him. It has nothing to do with whether they're going to remain in heaven or not, but they will be judged according to their deeds, whether they're good or bad. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So when we stand before Christ, it will be that final dealing with the reality of how we walked on this planet. From the judgment seat of Christ, we will all receive the white robes. But the Bible also says this, is that there will be rewards based upon how we built it on the foundation of Jesus. 
And, and the, the scriptures teach us that some men in this life build with gold, silver, precious stones, but other people with wood, hay, and stubble. The judgment seat of Christ is like a fire. It's the fire of judgment. The fire will try every man's works to see whether those works were of God or not. So at the end of the Bema seat, the, which is the name for the judgment seat of Christ, we will be, our works will be tried with fire. But out of, out of that, we will receive the white robes, which, now listen, it's not the righteousness of Christ. Because the righteousness of Christ you receive by faith now. You receive white robes by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a different set of white robes for the wedding. This is the righteous deeds of the saints. They are clothed with the white robes, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. So when we stand before the Lord, the Lord is going to do that final perfecting process for you and I so that we can wear the white robes and be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing picture that we have right here of the Lord just um, being able to overcome every one of our challenges. So let's ask ourselves this question. Who is this? Who is this bridegroom? It's the king's son, the lamb. John the Baptist said this, John 3, 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and listens to him rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that's very interesting here that the Bible has told us that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament covenant. And John said this as the representative of the Jewish people and of the nation of Israel and the Old Testament prophets. He says, I am not part of the bride. I am only a friend of the bridegroom. Now, that's so interesting right there, isn't it? It gives us further understanding of what's going on here. He is first off acknowledging that Jesus is the bridegroom. But he's also letting us know that there are going to be some who will be married to the bridegroom. And there'll be some <clears throat> who will be friends of the bridegroom. And I just want to explain that a little bit further. But um, let, let me remind you when Jesus was asked, why do your disciples not fast like the, the disciples of John the Baptist? And Jesus said this to them, the attendants of the groom cannot mourn as long as the groom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, Jesus even linked fasting to the idea that we have been separated from the one that we love. We want to be like him, and we're just saying, God, I want to do whatever it takes to be prepared for your return. It's a level of intense praying. So the bridegroom is Jesus. He revealed that. So who is the bride? The bride is the church, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who've come to faith in him, who while they walked on the earth in this life, committed their lives to the Lord. Now, when we talk about this marriage supper, let's just remember that today we took the Lord's Supper and that Jesus told us, I will not drink of this cup until I drink it together with you in my kingdom. So at the marriage supper of the Lamb is be the first time, one of the highlights is going to be when we have communion with Jesus. And realizing that while he was gone for 2,000 years, we remembered that we're going to be married to him. And at that great celebration, man, when Jesus raises that cup, I don't know if he'll say L'chaim or not, but when he <laughs> raises that cup and he gets us ready to drink, 
you know, that we're going to realize the magnitude of that moment. It's just, the, it's the wedding goblet. That's exactly what it is. But let's think about this bride. Let's think about the fact that the bride, which is those who have come to faith, let's think of, think of it in a very, I don't even know if I want to call it an allegory. Christ came to you and to me, and we were part of an outcast race because the head of our race had fallen in the Garden of Eden. But in spite of that, the bridegroom saw us like the shepherd saw the Shulamite woman whose skin was so dark because she was tanned and she was working hard. But he loved the beauty of who she was. She wasn't like those fair ones who lived in palaces. She was a woman who worked in the fields. She labored. Just like those of us who are wanting to be right with God, we can labor under striving and, and thinking that religious obedience is going to bring something. But really... The health of our relationship is rooted in the love of the bridegroom for us. So what did this bridegroom do? This bridegroom, Jesus, left his home in heaven, and he went to her home in order to win her. But when he got to her home, he was rejected by the members of her family. They tried him. They found him guilty in a bogus trial, and they nailed him to a cross, and he proved once and for all that his love and devotion for her was so great that he was willing to die for her. Then he went back to his father's house. After he died, he went back to his father's house and he told the bride in John chapter 14, behold, I, uh, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. The bridegroom came to the earth, rejected, died for his love for her, promised her, I'm gonna be gone, but you're gonna be okay. I'm going to my father's house and I'm gonna prepare a home for you. In the meantime, then, he left her with her family. So that's like you and I. Like, why are we still struggling in this world? It's part of God's purpose and plan. But he gave her an earnest, a down payment. Ephesians 1.13. After listening to the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own potential possession to the praise of his glory. So being born again today, the reality that we can know who Jesus is, we, we just know we receive the spirit of God is the down payment that he's going to come back for us. And so he will come back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to come back to the air, not all the way back to her home. And he's going to come halfway, and she's going to come halfway, and they're going to meet each other in the air. And so in the meantime, the bride is making herself ready, fine linen, clean and white, the righteous acts of the saints. She has faced the judgment seat of Christ, but she still stands in his righteousness alone. And then she finds herself then at this marriage supper. Now, this is the feast after the wedding. What's amazing to me right now is that the Lord doesn't even describe the wedding procession, actually describes the feast after the wedding. And why would that be? Because this is a Jewish book. And it's, it's directing even the understanding for the Jews to know what's about to happen. They will be guests watching the marriage of the bridegroom with the bride of Christ, the church, who's been caught up. They, the, the, the scripture there says, blessed is everyone who's been invited to this invitation. Who will it be? It'll be John the Baptist. He already said, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. But what did John the Baptist represent? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the people in faith in the old covenant 
but they are not part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the Bible says, blessed are they because they've been invited. Because while they walked this earth, they were here before Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know about the bridegroom. And yet, they are going to be able to be a part of the celebration. And then after the wedding feast, let's think about what happens then. Then the bridegroom does what we do. He, he takes the bride, takes her, and receives her, has a wedding feast with her at his house. But then he says to her, let's go on our honeymoon and let's go to your home now. And that's the picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes with the church, the white horse rider, with the others riding the horses, and he's going to come back. And what will he do? The bridegroom will come to the earth and he'll say, hey, I've got news for you. I was everything I said I was. And he's going to prove to those who killed him that he is the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to take her back. And she will, this is what it means when it says, she will rule, we will rule and reign with Christ. We will be like queens upon the throne next to the King, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to rule and reign with Christ. I, I got halfway through my nose, but here's the thing. <laughs> So I hope I can, I'll land this thing. <laughs> this is what it's all about. It's all about you and I waiting for Christ. When, I, when, when we go to that wedding, we're going to want to show to him the righteous deeds of the saints, the life that we lived for him. Let's, let's live in such a way that we can survive the fiery trial that will come when we stand before Jesus so that something will remain. I don't want to build with wood, wood, hay, and stubble where it's all just burned up and yet still saved. The Lord said, you can build your life with gold, silver, precious stones. They survive the fire. But all of this is an anticipation of even when the world goes mad, we can know one thing without a doubt. Jesus is returning. He's returning with us. He's going to wrap things up, and he will prove that everything that God intended for mankind has been fulfilled. Can you say amen? amen. All right. <sighs> Why don't we all stand up? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray, Lord God, that your blessing would rest upon it. In Jesus' name, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can be ready for the coming of the Lord. I'm just going to close quickly. If you have that tug on your heart because you don't know whether you're right with God, I want to give an opportunity for you to receive him today. If you've never met Jesus and you want today to be the day of your salvation, would you lift up your hand just saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer, giving my heart to the Lord. I want to settle this issue once and for all. And then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to come here in the front. The Lord says, if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before the Father. So very quickly, anybody here, lift up your hand just saying, today I need Jesus as my Savior. Is there anyone here today? Thank you, God, for bringing these people here today. And I just pray, God, you just bless them and let them be the salt of the earth in the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to have people here in the front. If you need prayer today for anything, please come forward. Let them pray for you. Thank you so much for coming today, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.